Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. I have Michelle Buteau in the house today. I'm very excited. She is here to discuss her new Netflix stand-up special, The Hilarious, The Brilliant, Welcome to Butopia. If it feels like you've been seeing Michelle everywhere recently, you're not wrong. From hosting and narrating The Circle to films like Always Be My Maybe and shows like BET's First Wise Club, as well as Netflix's Tales of the City, not to mention she's a seasoned podcaster herself and wrote the book Survival of the Thickest Essays. She has been busy. We're going to talk about all of it, how she got her start, what she learned from some of the incredible women she's worked with, when she's her most vulnerable, and her advice to people coming up. Sit back and enjoy. Michelle Buteau, I am so excited to meet you and to talk with you. Uh, Your special Welcome to Butopia is fucking excellent. Uh, I'll swear because you get to swear in your special, so now I can. Uh, I had it. I was rewatching. I've watched it a couple times. And last night I was watching it with my headphones on that pretty much as you see me right now. And I was laughing so hard. And I have two boys and, you know, we're homeschool and it's rough. It's the first week back. It's not pretty. And they haven't seen mommy laugh in a long time. And I'm laughing and, you know, oh my, 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 my oldest son comes in. He's like, I want to see. I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't. This isn't for you. <laughs> education right right <laughs> uh you watched it twice wow i uh, thank you that of course so nice. it's very easy viewing and i picked up and i laughed at different things so congrats on that now you filmed that obviously again it was so exciting to see a live audience yeah we filmed that march 1st at sony hall in new york city that it's right in the heart of midtown and it used to be um the roxbury um which was a gay club where people would go roller skate roller skating among other things and now it's this beautiful um music venue that also you know lends itself to other types of shows Mm -hmm. and so usually for um like a one hour special for a comedian you want like the maroon um curtain in the back and the tears of audience members just like laughing at something you said and you sort of like pause for a laugh break and look up. You're just like, yeah, you know, like looking up at the bleachers. But um, that's what I thought I wanted. It's sort of like your first wedding. <laughs> you think you want all this stuff. And by the time you get to your second wedding, you're like, no, braless and Crocs is the way to go. Got to be comfortable like a nurse on the 25th hour shift. So yeah, I was, um, I I was surprised that the venue spoke to me because it just felt like a sassy night out in New York City, which is what I sort of wanted to showcase. And I really feel like we did that. But I picked March 1st 
because it was the only date out of all the venues we saw that was available and that was my grandmother's birthday and um she's no longer here with us and she's from jamaica and we would always make it a thing and go down to jamaica for her birthday and i was just like mavis louise are you talking to me from the other side and so i am so thankful i picked that date because i'm like grandma's trying to make sure i get checks <laughs> and it was it was wild like we had no idea you know yes we captured a night out in new york city but i think it also sort of sort of looks like the last night out in new york city which is wet and wild probably was pretty darn close to it because i feel like by march 10th the whole world was shutting down basically yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right i flew i flew back home i was doing a travel show what and we were just like, Corona seems crazy that we would think it's, wait a minute, there's no hand sanitizer at the uh, airport? Like, every day we were traveling, we, were, we would just get more and more um, worried. So bananas to think about um, what March 10th was like for us. And then the shutdown, we were like, two weeks, all right, I guess I'll just hunker down at home for two weeks. And then all the toilet paper went missing. All the bread was gone. All the yeast was gone. Everybody just turned to Jesus Christ, baking their own stuff, making their own furniture. I was like, oh my God, you knew, I knew it was going to be a bad time when the frozen vegetables were gone. Just like cleared out. Let's talk about this special because... How, what's your process? Like, how long does it take you to get that perfect hour of comedy? Oh, man, I feel like everybody has a different process. And for me, I don't know. That's a good-ass question. I think it should take at least three to five years of life experience and um, stage time to get it all together. And the last stand-up special I did was a 15-minute set on Netflix in 2018. But I was also sort of working on these movies that hadn't dropped yet. And I was just in this process with my surrogate that was uh, pregnant with our babies. And so the world was also a very different place as I was trying to write stand up, and I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to say. And it was weird because as soon as the babies were born, I'm like, oh, I'm back. This is, this is who she is. This is what I'm complaining about. This is what I'm celebrating. This is, this is my sassy finger, you know, drunk auntie at the family reunion. <laughs> Hell no, no, no. So, you know, it really came together within a year, maybe less than, but I was mulling on like a bunch of stuff, not knowing that um, I just needed like to meet these little souls before I could kind of close that chapter and open another one, if that made sense. It does. It makes perfect sense. And you push the boundaries here. And I, I wonder, as a mom and, and also as a woman and a wife, you talk about the surrogacy, you talk about the vulnerability, and you talk about people's response, as well as what's going on with your husband, what's going on in your life. How do you manage what to say and not to say? And did you find yourself pulling back or did you find yourself more pushing through? That's fine. I mean, look, I, I kind of have a line for myself. I'm not an asshole. So I don't want people to feel like they're in my life just so I can write jokes about them. That's crazy. This is just sort of my therapy. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think some subjects are universal where it's just like, you go do that, I go do that too. 
And especially being in an interracial relationship, it's like, I got to talk about it. Now, whether you've dated somebody outside your race or not, it's just like, I feel like it, a lot of the stuff is universal. But, you know, I'm not going to get into details, you know, about stuff. Like, I still want to be respectful. And um, I think it's... I think a lot of comics struggle with that. Like, um, what's personal, what's funny, you know, will I cheapen this, um, relationship or experience? And, um, I, I think it's, you know, if you have to, if you have to think twice about it, then you probably shouldn't say it. Well, your stuff on motherhood is too good. It's just too good. I I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but it is just too funny. And, and uh, it's, and it's so real and just that whole thing, like describing blowout is just, you know, anybody that's been a mother or been around a baby will understand that. And, and I, I personally, even though I have, you know, teenagers walking around, it brought me right back to that. And I appreciated it and you instantly became my new favorite person. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank you. I mean, I feel like, what is it like cleaning the bathroom up after teenagers? Not fun. Okay. Two boys. Two boys. I'm living in, I'm like looking at you. It's just like the estrogen coming through the video chat for me. I live with two, two boys, two male dogs and a husband. You've seen some stuff. Yeah. I'm like, look, a girl. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty interesting. I just told my husband last night at dinner and don't get me wrong. I feel like the luckiest woman in the world but I told him I said well I understand why people don't have kids like I understand I'm, I'm never gonna judge somebody for whatever they want or don't want in their life as they shouldn't with me but I'm like oh I get why people don't want kids and good for them for knowing that before they're you know they're too late about mm-hmm. it one of the things that you talked about in this in your special that I have to explore is complaining yes. because there is an art to complaining. And a friend of mine, when she's epic complainer, like 10, 10 complainer. And when she was getting married, her husband said to her, okay, look, you get one or the other. You can talk about your weight all the time, or you can complain all the time, but you can't do both. And she, right. And she chose complaining. (laughs) Oh, wow. 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 Okay. So I want to talk to you about that. It's it's like breathing, right? And you feel guilty, obviously, because we're alive. We have so much to be grateful for, right? And certainly all the stuff, the steps and what you went through to get your children, you know, to have your babies and all of that. But complaining is almost like celebrating, right? Yeah, I feel like if you're not complaining, then you're you're just sitting on a ticky ticky boom boom. You know what I mean? Then like one teeny tiny thing is just going to set you off and you, you can like never come back. It, I think complaining gets me through the day. It makes me feel better. It's like a fart. You got to get it out. Um, it makes me feel seen. You know, if someone else is hopping on the same train that I'm complaining about, I'm like, I feel less alone. I am not the only one. Um, and yeah, I like to be petty with my pet peeves, you know, like little petty Pendergrass. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's completely normal to have pet peeves. It's, you know, I'm not losing friendship over it. Like, you know, if I can understand you better, then cool. I will wait for you to lick your fingers when you finish your plate. I'll leave the room when you do that. I'll come back and give you a wipe. 
This is fucking disgusting. <laughs> what are you, an animal licking your paws? <sighs> I can't. I can't even look at somebody doing it. And they always want to like, just like roll their eyes and lick their fingers. It's just like, I, I, I can't. <laughs> Have so. you, uh, does your rhythm change when you're performing depending on the audience? Like if you have something, obviously you have it mapped out in your head and you go on the road and you get something before you tape your show. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you get a surprise reaction in a crowd, will you adjust in the moment? I feel like when people, I could tell people are tired. I'll, I'll just keep talking and I'll be like, all right, we can all go home now and watch like Grey's Anatomy. Bye-bye. But if like people are there to party and they're in the mood that I'm just like, I want to take my time, like, you know, an entitled person driving, like I am going to do it. And, um, yeah, it, it, it goes back to, um, you get what you give or you give what mm -hmm. you get. I don't know. I'm yeah. sure that's on a magnet somewhere. <laughs> Can you hear my baby crying? I can. I love it. <laughs> okay. My husband's giving them lunch and I'm sure half of it's on the floor right now. I love it. It's very life affirming and I'm glad he's doing it and we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It feels like in the last 18 months, you've been in about 10 things and a lot of them are net on Netflix and you just finished doing a Jennifer Lopez movie. Am I right about that? A JLo yeah, movie? You are right about that. How crazy is that? That's crazy. I just imagine like you were talking to her two seconds before you got on this call. Um, yeah, I was giving her tips about her makeup line. I was not. Yeah. Um, I do send her DMs. She hasn't seen any of them. I wish she would. I just sent her videos, hoping one day <laughs> I'm sending out an SOS. It is my message in a bottle. Watch your DMs. JLo, if you're listening, or her seven assistants, um, look, Empire, good for her. I always admire anyone who did not come from Hollywood royalty or just like rich parents that could just sort of buy their way into whatever school or movie or whatever. Like she has, oh, she got a good lower back and good knees to do all that, honey. But your question, yes, all these movies, amazing. You know, I talk about this a lot in the last, let's say six months. What month is it? Whatever. I think I talked about this in 2019. It's 2020, <laughs> right? <laughs> 2020 is canceled. I'll see you next April 2021 yeah. with you. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think the biggest things are, especially for friends who have been doing it for a while and are waiting to hit or are really trying to get their feet wet and trying to be seen or whatever. It sounds so cliche, but joy, man, motherfucking joy. And it's not just joy on the camera. It's joy on set. Everybody you talk to is there doing something that they love, like the craft services, the hair people, the drivers, and it's fucking awesome and fascinating that you get to be doing something. And it doesn't matter if it's one line or, you know, six scenes, like fucking be memorable, have goddamn fun, make sure that that camera guy is going to be laughing, you know, because he's seen 17,000 people talk that day, but let him remember you. It's about him. You know, it's not always about you. So I feel like people could get out of their brains, get out of their space. You know what I mean? And just realize that it's about connecting no matter how long your, you know, your sides are, your uh, script is. That's the most important thing. So also shout out to motherfucking Netflix. Thank you so damn much for not being a sizist. I will say big bitches need love too. Big bitches are worthy of love. And so I love my part in Tales of the City because, you know, 
My character Ren was out here dipping and doing it. She was owning her sexuality. She didn't have to make any fat jokes. You know, no shade to cable networks who are trying to keep up with all the shows that Netflix is being um, um, nominated for. <laughs> but there is uh, something you, you there is something to be said about taking risks and chances and um, letting people do their thing, whether they're writers or producers or directors or even the actors or wh- whoever. You know, people are at their best when you let them be, you know, who they are. Damn! Yeah. <laughs> big titty TED talk? <laughs> and also the circle. I mean, you're brilliant in the circle. It's just so funny as the, the host. Oh man, I've always loved um any kind of social experiment situation, you know, part reality show, part social experiment, um part like pop culture, um I guess people call it trash TV. I am just here for all of it. I love the real world when it first came out and road road rules. Um and this is this is also fascinating too, um the circle because not everybody knows how to manage social media, but we all have to be on it. And even if we don't want to be on it, you know, we're making an alias and we're still like, you know, clicking through everyone's pictures or double tapping people's food or whatever it is. And so it's a really fascinating watch because um, it there's, there's so many things you can learn, like how much information you put out there, how, um, that can affect people's um, opinion of you, um, how safe it might be, who are you really talking to, how how does your profile picture um, make you look, girl, bye. It's, I'm so here for it. I love the circle. Um, and it's wildly popular, too. I mean, there's a French version, a Brazilian version, an American one. <laughs> so your dream, you can be a cameo on any Netflix show. Which one do you want to be a cameo on? Or character on? Oh my god! Um, all of them. <laughs> it's Michelle Buteau, bitch. <laughs> I am really bummed though. I missed the train on Orange Is the New Black. I did audition for that show a couple of times, and I didn't get the part, obviously. But um, I just feel like that was such a such a fucking important show, you know? Because we we overlook women all the time. We overlook women all the time. It's always like, um, well, what was she wearing? Why was she there that time of night? Um, it's always a woman's fault. And I love that they just, um, Genji and, and the other producers and just gave so much life to it. And they just really gave you this beautiful face behind this story that, you know, we always just like read about or hear about on CNN. So uh, I guess Orange is the New Black. I guess that's my answer. Yeah, that would be it. And I, I love that about that show, too. It's like everyone's in the orange jumpsuit. So you're not looking. It, it's not about physicality. Okay. It's really about the character and the yeah, I love it. it's a masterpiece, that show. All right. I want to take you back to the beginning because oh, no. now you're in your 40s. You're gorgeous. You're successful. You've got your babies. You've got your, you know, husband. Right. Who's from. Europe. <laughs> I won't I won't ruin any of that joke. I'll let uh, our listeners uh watch the special for that. But uh I in reading about you, I was amazed that you started in news. Like after college you went and you were working in media and you happened to yeah. be like you know this um, 
I want to know, was comedy or was acting? What was the germ for you while you were in another area? Were you thinking about the end game being an actress or was the end game being Carol Burnett or, you know, having your own comedy show or just doing stand up? Well, the end game um, over 20 years ago was definitely just having enough money in my account to pay my cable bills and like whatever taxi I needed. Like, I never thought I could be an actor. I never thought I could be a comedian. I actually wanted to be a journalist. And I um, told my professor that because I was taking a TV production class. And he told me that in front of the class that I was simply too fat to be on camera and that I should look for something else to do. And I hate him for it, but I also thank him for it at the same time because, you know, I was raised not to question authority. Um, you know, to be polite. And I hated that I, you know, went along to get along. But in turn, it was definitely like the slow simmer of, okay, I'll, I'll go into TV production because I really just love creating stuff and working with the team. And then I was field producing and editing local news and some pop culture things. And um, I was the editor everybody wanted to work with because I can make people you know, look better than how they look. And after a while, I was like, I am so tired of making basic bitches look good. Like now they're just coming to me for like things to say or something sassy or snazzy or whatever. And so um, I had coworkers that kept telling me I need to do comedy because I was so funny. But all the shows I went to, I'm like, I didn't see myself on that stage either. I'm like, people just seem like sad or depressed or they're just talking about like jerking off or like low jobs. It's all very self deprecating. And I'm like, well, I like my parents and I like money and I like to be happy. Um, but I also like love to host and be in control. And like, I, I, I can't stop thinking of things to say. So I know I talk and I just didn't like see myself anywhere at any of the comedy shows I went to. And, um, yeah, I don't know. 9-11 happened and I was like, oh, this is crazy. We're just working like 12 to 16 hour shifts every day, essentially editing um, a real horror movie. And I was like, this is horrible. I should just try stand up. Like I should just, just do something. And I remember our news director was like, we will offer therapy for you guys because we understand this is traumatic. And I was like 24. I'm like, I don't need it. I'm good. Give it to somebody else. I'm going to do stand up. I'm just going to try it. Now, like years later, I've spent so much money on therapy. I really wish I would have taken it. But, you know. <laughs> Where was the first place you performed? Stand Up New York, September 14th, 2001. And did yeah. you have a breakthrough at that time? Or when, when did you have your moment where you were like, oh, wait, I can, this is real. I can do this. I mean, I didn't, I don't think I had a... I can do this. What if I was like, since till yesterday, <laughs> um, I, I didn't think like that. I just thought this is so fun. All I wanted, all I know is that I want to do this again. And that's sort of how I dated, especially my husband. I'm like, this is fun. All I know is that I want to see you again tomorrow, or I want to hear from you. And, and I like to do things until I don't like to do them. And so I knew immediately that I was like, oh, this is really fun. And so I just, for six years, worked overnight shifts at MBC um, at Rockefeller Center editing the news. And then before I'd go in on my midnight shift, I would do like two or three shows in the West Village for free, <laughs> like, a, like a tip bucket. 
and uh, would like bark people into places like the Village Lantern, this little place that I hope survives the Rona um, on oh, Western Sullivan. And I would even like get into the barking. Well, barking is like when you have to mm-hmm. get people off the street to come to a free show, which is just like ridiculous. But people come and I'd be like, ladies, we got guys in the audience with no kids and good credit. <laughs> guys, we got ladies with no lazy eyes and all their teeth. And yeah. so like I would just start the comedy wherever I could. What a clown. I'm sick of myself. <laughs> um but yeah, and then I would go in and then just edit like house fires or whatever the fuck I was editing. So it was a journey for sure. But um, when people started paying me, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. This is fun. Um, and then when I started hosting and like the headliner wasn't even as good as me, I'm just like, oh, know your worth, bitch. Ask the headline. <laughs> when you asked a headline, how did that go? It was hard. It was really hard. Nobody really wanted to give me a chance. I mean, there were things called bringer shows where if you bring eight people, we'll let you do 10 minutes or we'll let you headline if you want to go to Rochester or um, we can let you co-headline with this other basic white dude. And it was really hard to break into headlining. In fact, I now my dog is like losing that dog her is shit. big <laughs> yeah my my lola is a, a lab mastiff i talk about her in yeah. the special too yeah <laughs> that's another child that's basically a teenager but oh yeah. my gosh she was my starter kit for sure <laughs> but do you back to back to the comedy and and the struggle do you feel like there's different rules i mean it seems like there's very different rules for men and for women yeah, I mean, for a woman in a comedy show, it's changing now. Usually you're the only woman because any more than one female becomes like a some sort of like female comedy show nobody signed up for, which is ridiculous. And you're always going to be the memorable comedian on stage because you're the only one that's not a man. And even your voice is so annoying to some people who don't even want to like just listen to a woman with opinions. And so already you have to be better and faster and stronger than all the other comics in order to like a keep people's attention and have a decent set and B get booked again. So yeah, I mean, but I think whether it's stand up comedy or any other job, like women just have to go through that shit. Did you have any moment where you thought about, not doing it anymore no no never this is the longest obviously i've gone without doing stand-up and um i don't know who i am i don't know who she is it's i just welcome to the wiggle house to the it's so many it's a lot of sesame street like i'm happy but i'm also like i gotta talk to adults mm-hmm. at some point <laughs> at some point i have to to talk to adults and I also just like talking to people where they can't say anything back to me because that's not the case with my husband at dinner every night mm-hmm. breakfast lunch and <laughs> every day <laughs> I am like Tom Hanks and Castaway but I'm gaining weight and the beard it is wild when you're on stage when are you at your most vulnerable um god uh, okay Jane Lipton fuck <laughs> I think when I'm talking about stuff that I know will not have a laugh, 
when I'm really just opening up about, you know, um, women's issues, my health issues, my surrogacy, stuff that I know that is even just race relations, stuff that I know that won't get a laugh. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is for the both of us. This is for me and it's just as much for you. So for sure then, and then you kind of have to like bring it back to, you know, like a good time. So I think that stuff definitely comes, um, with a ton of, uh, not only stage experience, but experience on working on yourself, you know, to talk about what's going on with you, you have to admit that something's wrong. And I feel like everybody's just, you know, walking around like they're okay. Not like they're perfect, but that, you know, these are just like surface jokes and I'm really fine. And there's, um, something not only beautiful, but so important with sharing whatever you're going through, because I don't think, especially comedians or anybody that has a platform that you could also be saving somebody by talking about what you're going through. What has been some of the more interesting responses that you've gotten from audiences? Everyone, everyone's a doctor, even though they've never been to med school. And so a lot of people have advice and opinions that I really didn't ask for. One person told me, if you were doing less comedy, maybe you'd be able to stay pregnant because you wouldn't be working as much. And I'm like, thanks for coming to the show. Goodbye. <laughs> but that that's like one out of 10 dentists. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> for the most part, it's... um it's not only women, but it's men who are like, I um, have gone through this IVF struggle with my wife and, um, you know, thank you for talking about it. Gay couples who also have to take an alternative route to um, having their own family. It's just so interesting. Like really at the end of the day, we're all just like these beautiful souls walking around just trying to be happy and feel heard and understood and um, hopefully that their government supports them in whatever the fuck they want to do with their lives and their bodies. So would you say generally it's more supportive than negative? So far, so far. I mean, there's always like, there's always those, those Christian dads, (laughs) those soccer coaches that really want to come out and tell you how they feel while they're like sitting in their Walmart parking lot. I don't know what, where they're at but you know my mom's really excited for the special to drop as she should be uh september 29th and she's like what are you gonna be doing september 30th and i'm like probably just blocking people on the internet that have a lot of shit to say because with the good also comes the bad and the ugly and i'm just like chill out have your parents always been supportive of you I mean, I I just know my parents would freak the fuck out. I'm like, I'm at NBC, but I'm going to do stand up now. <laughs> that would not yeah. have gone over well. But how 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 was it on your journey? I mean, it was it was okay, only because I was at NBC for so long, and so I was able to support myself. But there were nights that my mom would 
you know, check in on me and say, why are you out on the street corner handing out flyers when we worked so hard to send you to college? Why do you have to do these shows? Why do you have to fly this, that, and the other? Why do you have to drive three hours in North Dakota to go to this college for $800? And I'm like, I don't know why. I just have to do it. And, um, you know, even after the, even after the special, we had a little after party and my mom you know did a little toast and she got real you know teared up and you know choked up and she was like <laughs> such a caribbean mom toast she was like you know we sent her to college and um she was making six figures and uh, no other woman did that uh, in our family and still she wanted to do this comedy thing and i said okay as long as you didn't get pregnant in high school you could do this comedy. i was like get to the fucking toast ma Marie Buteau, tick, tick, tock, bitch. We want to sip this dumb champagne. But yeah, that's what it is. And even now, um, in my 40s, you know, my family's so Catholic and conservative, still open-minded, but still so conservative that, you know, me talking about sex or, you know, an abortion or anything on stage feels wild, but I'm just like, this is just who I am and I have to... I have to speak my truth, you know, even with the book coming out, there's, um, some stuff that she would find hella, <laughs> hella crazy. Um, and my uncle who's a priest, he was just like, I'd love a signed copy. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Like one of the essays is about getting gum stuck on a Dominican guy's dick in the backseat of a taxi. Do you want to read that? <laughs> I just love you have an uncle that's a priest. I have an yeah. aunt. I had an aunt that was a nun. I grew up very, very eight day a week Catholic too. So I understand where you're where you're coming yeah. from. Thanks. You always got to give. You. you always got to give one to the church. Oh, I've given so many. <laughs> I've given so many. I mean, the fundraising. The even our wedding was uber Catholic, and my husband's never been baptized, and we had to go to like a sleepaway Catholic camp for a weekend. It. It it is uh, wild. How do you, um, how do you talk to your kids about Catholicism and sex and doing the right thing and what's the wrong thing and how your body feels and the guilt, masturbating? Yeah, I'm not having those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I always ask everybody I talk to these questions, so I want to know what advice do you have for someone that knows they can make a room laugh, they they have the spark in them, but they don't really know what to do with it, or they're just terrified, or they don't know how to even start? Right. I mean, that's such a good question, because I feel like I have so many talented friends who um, never finish the script, they never finish the email, they just talk themselves into a corner. Um, and to that, I say, if you are interested, if there's a germ, if there's a seed, you know, just get it done. It, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done, whether it's the set, whether it's the open mic. Um, also, who can't, who really gives a fuck? You know, who really gives a fuck? Like, who do you care about? You know, like, if people laugh, great. If they don't laugh, great. If there's a chuckle, you can work on that joke and there'll be a laugh later. Like, you know, I think we have these unrealistic expectations of how shit works. And it's like, no, we're not Pamela Anderson. We're not just like sitting at some fucking game eating a hot dog all of a sudden we're a fucking model. That's not how it fucking goes. 
Lady Gaga will tell you that shit. She worked her ass off. Everyone that is successful that's worked their ass off will be working for a very long time, right? It, it takes work. Oh my God, these basic people out here just expecting shit to happen because they have a sex tape and a crop top. Get the fuck out of here with your crop top. Always trying to get something off the top shelf can never reach it. Really want to have your tits out. That goes for men and women. I am judging. Look at you always bending over, picking your wedgie. Yuck! Wait, what was the question? I really want to get back to it because it's a question. Oh! Yes. Don't tell yourself no before other people tell you no. Real talk. Don't do that shit. You know, who gives a fuck? Who, truly, who gives a fuck what people think? And if they like you, great. If they don't, whatever. I mean, just do it, is what I say. I feel like a lot of people, like, want to pick my brain. They used to, like, want to meet me for coffee before a pandemic. And uh, I... It's one of my pet peeves. I hate when people uh, ask me how to do something. How do I do it? How do I make money? How do I become popular? That's, um, that is lazy. You know, if you're going to do something brave, then you have to be brave. Put yourself out there and just do it. Also, what have you learned from watching other people? Like you did, a, obviously you did the movie with Ali Wong. You just worked with JLo. She's a machine. I've been in, I've experienced some of uh, what she's capable of doing for you. What have you learned from watching other women specifically in this industry? Yeah. Like what have you taken away the positives and then maybe in turn the negatives that you don't want to do? Well, I mean, I love working on all these um, female forward, queer forward, trans forward shows because, you know, we are the minority. And like I said before, you know, we have to be better than everybody else in order to get picked up for another season in order to be trending or heard or whatever it is. And so between Allie and JLo and Laura Linney and Ryan Michelle Bethay and Jill Scott and Tracy Oliver and all these amazing women, it is, um, it, it's, it's about knowing your shit, know your shit. And now that I'm a mom, like I was already just like in it to win it. And I already knew what everybody was doing at every time uh, point of the day. But now I'm a mom. I'm like, oh my god, we're fucking super women. Like we are, we're so good. No wonder my mom is a balding introvert. Do you know what I mean? Like I have sucked all the energy out of her body because she is really about you know helping me make my dreams come true. You know, however that looks to her. But it's being on top of your game, um, and also it feels like real boss bitches don't apologize. Um, you know, as women, we do this thing where we always, our cadence goes up at the end, as if it's a question, as, as if we're already apologizing for knowing what we want. Um, and we can't do that because, um, if we don't trust ourselves, how can we have somebody trust us? So, you know, as a black woman, whether it is, you know, you're going to the doctors or you're ordering food at a restaurant, whatever it is, everyone assumes that you have an attitude. I'm so over that shit. I am all the way over it. I used to be under it. Uh, I used to tiptoe and apologize. And uh, I don't know if it's having a good partner. I don't know if it's just like space or time. I don't know if it's being a size 18 and having my titties just be like an Ikea fleshy shelf that just weighs me down, but also lifts me up at the same time. I don't know what the fuck it is, but you know, stand in your power, stand in your fucking power. If someone doesn't know how to, live in your shine, then they have to go somewhere else that is dim. Don't dim yourself with somebody else. 
All right. So what's the next decade going to be for you? What, what what are you going to do? You got your special coming out and you got your movies, you got your series, you got your babies. Oh, man. That's a hard question, right? Like, who knows? I mean, like, um, I love all the things. I love the hosting. I love the acting. I love the stand-up. Obviously, stand-up is going to look different as your life changes. Definitely another special. I don't know that I would write another book because that was crazy. That was I don't I don't know that I'd write another book. I'll probably write like a recipe. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll give you a good a good blurb on the refined 29 i'll give you a good blurb okay <laughs> eat this now um and it's just all leftover recipes um but yeah i mean i've got some movie ideas like once the world returns to a better place ooh, you better watch out these 40 double d's are gonna need to sit down but still coming for you <laughs> choo choo bitch <laughs> Oh my God. It's, this has been so much fun. I'm like, why do I have to go on with my day? I appreciate that we're able to have this conversation and I'm so grateful that you were able to do that special before the world shut down and now everybody can see it and we're adapting and it's been great. So thank you, Michelle. Oh my goodness. Thank you, boo. This is so much fun. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.